We're in this little series that we're calling Transforming Lives. And it is specifically focused on uh, us as a church and how we are personally transformed, but also how that transformation changes the world, how God uses that missionally in other parts of the world. So Jeff was here, Jeff Phillips, a missionary, was here last week, and we're going to continue that uh, this week. So um, Acts chapter 11, uh, if you can all stand with me to honor God and his word. Uh, verse 19 uh, says this, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was upon them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God had, what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You can have a seat. So um, I don't know if all of us will relate to this. I don't know if this is still done in schoolyards and stuff. But when I was growing up, um, there would be pickup games of different sports. You know what I mean? There was a bunch of kids on the playground, and there was going to be a dodgeball game or a baseball game or a basketball game, whatever. And you choose sides, right? Do you know how this works? So you have a captain, two captains, and then they pick people to be on their team. So when it was baseball season, I was picked among the first because I could hit a ball and I could catch a ball. Baseball was my sport. So I love that. Yeah, it's baseball season. And I'd be like the first or second picked and I'd go up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then basketball season came. Need I say more? Uh, short, fat, white guy, can't jump. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I was like the last picked. You know what I mean? Oh, what a terrible feeling. You're just sitting there, walk of shame, walk of shame, walk of shame. You know, it's like, okay, here I am. Yeah, okay. So you get the idea. Okay, hold on to that idea to the end of the, the message, and you'll understand why. Just remember that picture of the pickup game and stuff, okay? All right, we're going to talk about four things from this passage. One, we're going to talk about the church gathered and scattered and what that is all about. Secondly, we're going to talk about uh, God doing new things, that God does new things all the time, and in this context, he, he does. Third, we're going to talk about raising up leaders. That's what happens in here, in this passage. And then fourth, we're going to talk about the how, what our attitude as a community must be toward those things of God multiplying his work. Okay? So, number one. Um, the this, this gathering and the scattering of church. Verse 19 says this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Okay, uh, understand what's happening here. In Jerusalem, there's a small church. 
it is all Jews or all people who had been become proselytes, who'd become Jewish. It's a small group of people. And then Stephen is killed in Acts chapter 7. And as that happens, there's a persecution that happens from non-Christians toward the church. And they get scattered all over. So look at this map. You can see where they go. So there's Jerusalem. And then they go to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Phoenicia is modern-day Lebanon, by the way. So, you know, it's 50 miles, 60 miles to the border between Jerusalem and modern-day Lebanon. And then Cyprus, the... the uh, uh, the island, and then Antioch. Okay, so that's where they go. Now remember this, remember this. There were no trains, planes, and automobiles. So that could have been like you going from here to California. Like there's, there's no, people didn't know the known world beyond their little, their, their, their small little area or place. And here's the point. The church is scattered by persecution. And God uses that to further his kingdom. Now, let this sink in for a moment. This is a hard, hard, hard lesson. The church is persecuted. The believers were persecuted. Stephen was killed. And God used it to further his kingdom purposes. Many, 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 many thousands of people came to know Jesus because of that scattering and because of the persecution. Now, this is a harsh jump, but I'm going to make the jump because it's important for us. For the last three Thursdays, I guess, or yeah, three Thursdays, I've been on a call early in the morning. It's a prayer call that was started by a group of Christians in Bethlehem, not Bethlehem, PA, Bethlehem in the West Bank, uh, pastors who started this, and they are from Bethlehem and then in the north from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, and from Gaza, where there's several churches. So after the war started, the next Thursday, um, there was the first prayer, and there's 500 people on this call. And the reason I know that is it's via Zoom, and it's a webinar, and the maximum number of people who can be on is 500. So if you don't get on the call early, you can't get on. I, the first week, I got on too late, and they said it's full. So there's 500 people from around the world who are praying together. So it's led by three pastors or three four or five pastors from Bethlehem, Nazareth, and Gaza. And I'll tell you, it, was, it has just been just this ache, this pain in our souls about what's happening there. And then last week, the pastors from Gaza were not on the call because their, their church was destroyed. And they could not be on the call. And you know, you know how that feels like you're waiting to, to, you know, you're waiting for the week to see people, to see real live people and to pray with them and to, to hear how they're doing. And there's nothing. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no internet. They can't, they can't get on. Now look, this is a very political issue. There's lots of parts to this. For us as a church, what we're called to is to pray to cry out, to see the persecution of the church, whatever side that's on, and ask God to even use this tragedy for his, his kingdom. So can we just take a moment and pray together specifically for what's happening in Israel and the West Bank? 
Father, we pause right now as your people. We pray that your peace, your shalom, your salem would come upon um, this land that we call the Holy Land. We pray that for Israelis. We pray that for Palestinians. We pray that all, um, that you would spare people's lives. And Lord, we pray for your church there. Uh, Palestinian Christians, Messianic Jews, we pray that you would give them perseverance and resilience and hope. And even in the midst of this persecution, that Lord, none of us would choose, and I know you hate as well, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> Lord, that your will would be done, that you would be gracious to people who are suffering so greatly right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the gathered and scattered church. Second, uh, the church is transformed as God does new things. Look at verse 20 for a minute. Some of them, some of the people who are scattered, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, which means they weren't originally from Jerusalem, but they were Jews. They went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Question, who told these guys they could speak to the Greeks? They're out of order. Who told them that they could go there and do that? Answer, nobody or God. Probably the second answer is better than the first. Right, so here, here's what happens. The people are scattered. There's no sort of command to like go and and preach to the Greeks. But, but for these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, they're used to being around Greeks. So it's natural for them to go, even if they're Jewish, and tell people, what are they going to tell people? The best news that they can. What's the best news that they can? That Jesus came and died on a cross for them and their sins can be forgiven. That's the best news that they can tell them. So they do. And and God does this new thing. Now, let me ask you a question for a moment. Uh, how many of you, when you come here on Sunday, you sit in the same seat every week? Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, every, yeah, yeah, lots of people. I do. Yeah, okay. Okay. What happens if somebody sits in your seat? John King's going, whoosh, whoosh, like, whoa, whoa, or, never sit in your seat, John. Okay. Okay, you get the point. We like routine, don't we? We like the vantage point. We see the screen or the speaker or whatever. Yeah, we like, and then if that gets disrupted, if the status quo gets, gets disrupted, we kind of go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right? Well, uh, this is what happened to the Jews right at the beginning of the church because they still didn't understand that the grace of God is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. Now we read the Old we read the New Testament, and we know if you read the New Testament at all, you'll know. Oh, I can quote Ephesians chapter two, where God has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And you can look at uh, Acts chapter ten, and Peter has this vision of Cornelius, and he should go to the Greeks. We know all that. Like we have those stories, and we're like, oh yeah, of course. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is for everybody. These guys didn't know that. Like it was an emergency. Like it was a problem that they had brought these 
people into the kingdom. Look, we all have this. We all have these prejudices. When I was younger growing up in a Jewish family, I didn't, I don't really know what I believed about God, and I certainly didn't know what I believed about heaven. But I knew this. If there was a heaven, there would be Jews in it, but absolutely no Arabs. That's what I thought. Like, there was no way that I was going to be caught dead or alive with Arabs in heaven. Well, some of you know, and some of you met this week, my friend Ashraf, who's a Jordanian Arab, who's one of my dearest friends in the world. And the prospect of an eternity with God and sharing it with Ashraf is one of the most beautiful things in my life. See, look, we're in a season of change here at Living Word. God's doing new things. We want him to do new things. And that means for us, we've got to let go of some stuff. The Jews had to let go of a whole bunch of things when, they, when Gentiles came into the, to, into the church. We have to be pliable and flexible. I'll give you an example of this. Jews, for a long, long time, as I was growing up, this is how we did it, Sabbath, Shabbat, is Friday night to Saturday night. And I grew up with this, and I loved it. I loved that we all went to the synagogue at 5, 5.30 in the evening, and kids ran around, and parents were there. My dad would come from the gas station, all messy with grease and everything. And, and then the rabbi and his wife would go into the auditorium, the sanctuary, and as they did, we, knew, we all knew we had to follow in. And then kind of a hush came over the, the room. We lit it, they lit a candle, and Shabbat started. And she said, Shabbat Shalom. And it was like, all, all was good in the world. And from Friday night sunset to Saturday night sunset, it was this time of rest. Beautiful, right? If you're, if you're Jewish, this was what we do. Well, by the time Jesus has been raised to, to, to life, has resurrected, within, within a generation, the church has changed the Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night to Sunday morning on within 30 years. Now, I bet you, I bet my last dollar that every Jew resisted it. I guarantee it. Well, you know what? God was doing a new thing. It wasn't a right or wrong thing. It wasn't that, that doing Shabbat Friday night to Saturday night was wrong. It was just that Jesus rose to, to life on the third day on Sunday morning. And so the church sensed that it was right to do that on resurrection day to worship. Makes sense, right? But change is hard. And so that's, that's the, 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 the main, one, of the main, one of the two main things we have to hold on to here with mission and, and going globally and being involved in different places. It is, it, it, God's doing new things. Okay, second thing or third point. Uh, the church is transformed by new leadership. Um, look at Acts Chapter 11, 25, 26, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus, Tarsus is about 100 miles west of Antioch, to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Okay, I want you to see what happens in the book of Acts about, Saul, about Barnabas and Saul. Have a look at this. Okay, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, I just read. Uh, verse 30, Barnabas and Saul. Uh, chapter 12, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission. Uh, chapter 13, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Verse 7, Barnabas and Saul. Verse 42, Paul and Barnabas. See the change? 
it started for two and a half chapters with Barnabas, the mentor, the leader, and Saul, who was needing to be rehabilitated, to say the least. And then in the middle of, of chapter 13, there's this change to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul becomes the senior leader. The only time it's different is in Acts chapter 15, when there's a Jerusalem council, and Paul doesn't have stature or, or legitimacy there. And then it switches back for a chapter and says Barnabas and Paul, because Barnabas has the credibility with the people. And then after that, by the way, Paul and Barnabas have a big conflict, and they split up because Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark, and Paul didn't, and they had this big conflict, and they split up. I love the honesty of the Bible, by the way. You know, it's like, oh, here we are in our glory. Yep, we just had a conflict. And then Paul goes out, and the rest of, of the book of Acts is him, you know, going to the Gentiles all around Asia Minor and into, into Europe. Look at what Barnabas did in raising up that new leader. Now, Paul was like the kid on the playground who is the last chosen. He was basically a terrorist. He gave approval to the death of Stephen. He wanted to destroy the church. Now, let that sink in for a minute. Because then he comes to faith in Jesus in Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus. And then Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find this guy, this loser of a guy, this guy who was a terrorist, this guy who is the last person on earth should be in leadership. And what does God do? He raises him up, and he becomes one of the greatest leaders in the church in the first century. Friends, we are... Uh, in a tr transition here, there's a whole bunch of people who are moving off staff. They're retiring, including our senior pastor. This is a generational change for this church. Why? Because the church is 45 years old, and generations change after 40 years. So can I talk to all of us with white hair for a minute, whether it's real or not, okay? <laughs> or if you don't have hair, I'll talk to you too. For the older folks around us. Our job, listen carefully, our job is to encourage and mentor and support and cheerlead for the next generation of leadership in this church and beyond, in our communities. Absolutely, that's right. Look, and it's hard, it's hard. I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with one of our staff who's 35 years younger than me. Not that I'm bitter or anything, but... And he was talking about digital ministry and how, how everybody's on their smartphone. I don't have my smartphone with me. And I realized in the middle of the conversation, this person has not lived at a time when there was no smartphone. He, he's called a digital native, which I find really funny. But anyway, so, so we're having this conversation about the function and use of an app and how people relate in church about using an app. And I just find it weird. Like I just, and I said this to the, I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm struggling with this being the interface for us as a church. And I just realized at that moment, I need to take a step back. I need to listen well. I need to ask questions. And I need to think about how this person gets empowered to lead us as a community. Are they 
Are they ready to lead? You know, do they have enough maturity? All, all these questions, the answer is no, they don't have enough maturity. Are they ready to lead? Well, not quite. But yeah, neither was I. And probably many of us here. Somebody was crazy enough, like Barnabas, to find the Paul and, and raise him up. Friends, we will go through that here, and it will feel a little bit like somebody telling you you got to move your seat on Sunday morning. It'll feel a little bit like that, and that's okay. It's actually a good thing. It's actually what helps, the, one of the things that helps the gospel spread even further when there's new leadership and God doing new things. That, that's, that's part of what we see here. And yes, at times it is disorienting. And for those of us who have done things a certain way, it will feel that disorienting. But that's, that's part of life. That's how life transitions happen. Okay. Um, I want to show you a video for a moment um, as kind of an example of this. Matt Craig, some of you know, he works for Young Life. And a few years ago, we started to relate about uh, reaching out to young people in the Kurdish region of Iraq. Uh, average age of, of the population in, Kur in the Kurdish region is very low because many people were killed by ISIS and younger people are now growing up. And so Matt has had this vision and, and sense of calling with a team of people about reaching young people in the Kurdish region of Iraq. So have a look at this. My name is Matt Craig. I've been married for 23 years to my wife, Marissa. For the last 23 years, I've been on Young Life staff and Leaving Word has been a wonderful partner with us in that. And most of that time was focused here in the York area, which was one of the greatest joys of my life, just being able to minister to young people here and partner with many of the adults in this church and outside. In 2020, Brian introduced me to some relationships in the Middle East, and we began connecting online and having some wonderful conversations during the pandemic. Shortly after, I traveled with Brian for the first time in, in May of 2021, and that was my introduction to Kurdistan, northern Iraq. And during that time, uh, connected with many people, and we just, as a learner, and begin to learn, learn the culture, learn the place, learn some of the needs, and ask the question, is there an opportunity to invest and serve young people in this area? So from that first trip, as I began to travel back and forth and build these relationships, there's a team of young people that we were able to send to this campus, uh, all local leaders. And so as we continue to lean into that and we saw doors open, there was an opportunity for us to build community groups. And we, we, and we began a movement that we're calling Young Leaders. What Young Leaders does is it sends young people who we've trained and we've developed them in their leadership to invest in their peers. So they are pulling together community groups of other students to do two things, to build community on the campus and also to help develop them in leadership. And during that time, as they're, as they're building these friendships and relationships, they're gonna have opportunities to share their lives with these friends, learn each other's story, to be known and help others be more known, and connect to the gateway through the gateway of their heart. You know, what is most exciting to me right now is watching these new, young, believing adults coming to life. It says they are growing in their relationship with Jesus, as they are sharing their life with others, we're just watching them come to life. And that's been so, so exciting. Just an example of what we're talking about right now. So how, how does this happen? What's the key for these two things to happen? That God does new things and God raises up new leaders as, as his mission goes forward. What's the key for us? 
Well, I think we find it in the character and, and the integrity of Barnabas. And it comes down to a word. He was humble. He was selfless. And it reminded me, it took me a while to find this quote. I remember this quote from the book, um, The Speed of Trust. And Stephen Covey says this, better just to, to, to listen to what the idea of, of humility is. Listen to this. So how does humility manifest itself in leadership and in life? A, a humble person is more concerned about what is right than about being right. About acting on good ideas more than having the good ideas. About embracing new truth than defending outdated positions. About building the team more than exalting self. About recognizing contribution more than being recognized for it. See, that's Barnabas's legacy. He was this humble, selfless individual who wanted the very, very, very best for the church and for the movement. And so he was willing to do whatever he needed to. He put his reputation on the line by bringing Paul in. He put his reputation on the line by seeing what was happening and going back to Jerusalem to the leaders saying, this is good. He, it was this humble, gracious person. So I want to tell you a story that kind of illustrates this about what God's calling us to. Um, we do medical trips to Iraq every uh, six months or so. We've done four of them. We'll do a, another one in April. Um, and we uh, hire a bunch of translators. They're almost all young people who translate from when a patient comes in the door, they have to tell them what's wrong with them, tell their story, and then they translate it for a doctor who sees them. So here's an example of this. If we can show the first picture for a moment, if you guys can go back. So um, many of you know Ed Nelson, and in the back, uh, he's to the left, the doc, and then Ahmed uh, is in the plaid, and this is a... Uh, uh, a Yazidi patient, her name is Khazal, who they, who they saw. And so what happens is uh, the doctors see patients all week and they see 30, 40 patients a day. And these translators receive, they listen to the person's story and then they tell the doctor and then the doctor has a sense of what's going on. Well, the person just doesn't say, oh, I have a cough. They say, well, I lived in this other place and my husband was killed by ISIS. And then I had to come here and I've had this cough forever. And my kid is here, by the way, and my kid can't walk because they, were, they have shrapnel in their leg. And so every day, every hour, these translators are doing this. They're taking this information and they're giving it to the, 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 the leaders, to the, to the doctors. I mean, think about the intensity of that for a moment. Okay, so Ed and Ahmed got paired up this week. And they, they didn't know each other at all before, but when we were starting the week, we paired them up. And somewhere into the week, second day or something like that, you know, Ahmed's kind of overwhelmed by all this. He speaks perfect English. He's this young 22-year-old guy. He's got an engineering degree. And uh, he's, he's from a Muslim background, but he really doesn't have much faith. Like he's kind of agnostic and just kind of open. And so at some point he says to Ed, he turns to Ed and he says, Ed, why do you do this? Like he's seeing this American doctor who's come 6,000 miles to sit in a clinic, you know, and see a hundred patients over a week and hear these horrible stories. And so Ed kind of being a product of living word church, he just says to him, well, 
God's blessed me and I'm, I'm to bless others. Like I'm blessed to be a blessing. And Ahmed had never heard that before. He didn't, he didn't know this concept. Now just imagine hearing that for the very first time in the intensity of that moment. At the end of the week when we were leaving, uh, we said goodbye to the, the translators. We had a big celebration in the afternoon. And we leave the hotel at like one in the morning to get on the bus to take, go to a, to a plane. And Ahmed showed up at one o'clock in the morning to say goodbye. One o'clock in the morning by himself. And he was in tears saying goodbye to Ed and to, to the rest of us. Okay. That's the story of Ahmed. Now I want you to do something that is just an imaginary thing. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. I want you to imagine it's 15 or 20 years from now. And you've decided that um, you're going to go and visit. You're going to go on a team that we continue to do to Iraq. And you decide one day that a couple of you were going to go to a cafe and sit and have a great cup of Persian coffee, uh, tea. It's really good. And you're sitting there and um, you meet this guy. His name's Ahmed. He's 42 years old. You get to know him, you talk a little bit, you know, where are you from, what do you do? And, and you find out that he has become, he's a person of faith, that he and you have the same faith, that you're believers in Jesus. And you say to him, when did that start? Like, how did that all start? And he says to you, there was a doctor who came here about 20 years ago. And I was his translator for a week. And he said something to me that just didn't register right then. But God used it and I got it eventually. That I'm blessed to be a blessing. And that started 20 years ago. That's what mission is all about, friends. Let's pray together. Father, we... Uh, we thank you that you are always doing new things. We thank you that you're always raising up new leaders. We thank you that even that sometimes it's disorienting, as it must have been for the early church. But Lord, we say that we trust you. We, wanna, we want our faith in you to grow. Jesus, we want to see you uh, lifted up and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.